Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I remember when I was a teenager. And being a teenager had... Oh, there's many gifts that teenagers have. One of them, as most gifts, they're attached to things that are challenging. And one of the things that I especially remember as a teenager was my feelings. Anybody? Teenagers? Feel? Yeah? Feel all the things? Feel all the feelings? So we're going to be taking care of calling an ambulance. Luckily, we have nurses, a doctor, a fireman. <laughs> So now that everybody's got a little shot of adrenaline there, look. As a teenager, especially feeling very convicted about a lot of things, very conscientious, right? How many of you can remember that time where you say, there's no way I'm going to be like my dad. There's no way I'm going to be like my mom. Absolutely not. I'm not going to, if it's not your parents, I'm not going to be like that person, but especially your parents. Uh, teens, I have a uh, warning sign ahead. Um, you're probably going to end up kind of like your parents. At some point, the coin is going to drop and you're going to say, oh man, I'm kind of like my dad. Oh man, I'm kind of like my mom. It is amazing how we can go from hearts that are tender, that are aware, that are convicted with such vision for what they desire. How they're not going to go down this path, they're going to go down the right path. Scripture has for us many images but a particular image that jumps out is our Lord that we hear throughout scriptures. It's not just in a few places, but throughout. Talks about hard hearts. 
He has some other images, being stiff-necked, being uncircumcised of heart. We have Moses in Deuteronomy as he is re-preaching, retelling the law that was given to Israel on Mount Sinai. Talks at length about remembering what God has done, remembering especially the commandments that he has given and looking and praying for hearts that are not hard, but are made of flesh and not stone. We see this throughout the prophets. I think especially the prophet Ezekiel, who foretells in the future a time when God, dealing with his hard-hearted, stiff-necked people, will give them hearts of flesh, that he will pour out his spirit upon them. There's many ways in which we can harden our hearts. And this morning we have two different gospel pericopes. One, the second one, in honor of the other commemoration that we have this morning, which is James, the brother of our Lord according to the flesh. That we have this gospel account where Jesus has gone to his own people And he is preached among them. And what is the response of the people? Don't I know you? Didn't we used to play over there? I know your mom. I know your siblings. I know when you stubbed your toe. Like, I know you. And what is their response? Because Jesus is preaching about the kingdom. What is the response of the people? Unbelief. Specific word is they were offended. Somebody near and dear that they knew is preaching the truth and they downgrade him. No, you're just that guy. I'm offended. The other, we have the great parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And we have the rich man, the gospel tells us, clothed in purple, fine linen, has great meals. And right outside his door is Lazarus, full of sores. The hardening of hearts. Can you imagine this rich man? I'm sure we all can imagine this because we've encountered this ourselves. But this rich man has right at his doorstep a man that tells us full of sores and dogs are even licking his sores. This is right outside of his gate. The saying over familiarity breeds contempt comes to mind. This hardening of the heart because of what is familiar, what is known. Oh, this Jesus I know his family. I played with him when I was a kid. That's quite a statement to even think about. To get at the gravity of the situation. Of the desensitizing. The hardening. And we see the rich man who himself. Has hardened his heart. Someone in need. Day in. Day out. Right at his front door. He doesn't have to go searching. But ignores. At the end of the parable, 
as we have the rich man in torment asking Abraham, go save my brothers, help my brothers. And Abraham tells him, they have Moses, they have the prophets, they have the same message that they've heard their entire life. And, then, and the rich man says, well, somebody risen from the dead. If they go, then they will repent. The irony for our ears, of course. Someone risen from the dead tells them the truth. Then they will repent. And Abraham tells them, they do not hear Moses and the prophets. They won't be persuaded by one risen from the dead. These process of desensitizing of the hardening of our hearts is something that is very deceptive sometimes it can just be an all-out something happens bam heart hardened but for us as we see just familiarity just being around it the poor man, Lazarus. The neighbors of Jesus offended by what Jesus has to say. Because God comes to us not in the exotic, but in the familiar. He comes to us in the drudgery of diapers, of meals, of work, work commutes, Work stress, marriage, marriage stress, marriage fights, marriage reconciliation, marriage, (laughs) (laughs) children, (laughs) family in general, parents, let's go the other direction, friendship, all of these are ways in which God speaks, comes to us in the familiar, the day-to-day. The process of desensitizing, it starts with our conscience, because we all have a conscience. God gave us a conscience, and it pings us. There's little things. Some of us may have overactive consciences. We'll talk about that in a minute. But most don't have the challenge of oversensitive conscience. We've just learned to make the conscious volume turn way down. That our conscience no longer bothers us, but that we can just ignore it. Like the alarm in the morning. Snooze, snooze, snooze. And then somehow we've turned it off. The process of desensitization or desensitizing our hearts can also come from an over-pursuit of knowledge, knowing and knowing, just taking it all in, but it's never connected to actual conviction, actually seeing ourselves in that knowledge, in the mirror, that brings us to repentance. Right? The brothers, they know Moses and the prophets. They're not paying attention to him. And then I think something that is especially challenging for us goes to those neighbors where we are familiar with the holy. And so it's hard for us to recontextualize 
Or that when something comes to us that is challenging, that is putting us in a place where we don't feel comfortable, that we will recontextualize it or recategorize it. Right? This word of the kingdom, I know their family. I know where this comes from. And so we degrade it. We turn it down. This recontextualizing of the holy or degrading the holy when it comes to us is something that I think that we can get in a very good habit. And that is making excuses. We hear the word, our conscience pings us, we know and we are able to catch a glimpse of ourselves, but we don't actually follow through with responsibility, we just make excuses. I mean, think of overfamiliarity of holiness. How many times do you walk by your prayer corner or the icons where you pray and they don't even exist to you? How many days can it be? I was going to start with hours, but let's start with days. How many days can it be that we go and walk beside the place in our house that we have set aside to encounter God in a particular way? That we just walk past it. We can, in making the excuse, distance ourselves. And this is this process, right? Just little things that start to mount up. Making excuses about attendance at church. Lowering and chipping away at our responsibilities to God and to others. And then I think one of the things that is one of the most poisonous things is then not just a passive walking away, but then the act of biting, criticizing, complaining. There's a great little story, maybe it's a parable. We have a concern about children wondering why when they grow up and they walk away from the church, what happened? And the story goes, well, what did they have for lunch every single Sunday? You all familiar with this saying? They had the preacher for lunch. Or they had somebody else in the congregation for lunch. Because what they heard was their parents talking, criticizing, complaining. The descent into a heart of stone is not immediate. It's small but consistent no's to our conscience, saying no again and again. I'm not going to pay attention to you. To have the knowledge of God, but no tears. To go to criticism, sarcasm, cynicism, despair, which degrades our pursuit of holiness, which turns everything upside down. If you look at the rich man and Lazarus, it wasn't that the rich man suddenly made a mistake and then, oops, he ended up where he ended up. This is years of a process. It didn't happen overnight. The prophet Ezekiel, in speaking about the day of the knowledge of God amongst his people, especially in the advent of the Messiah, Says God says to him, Say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, 
but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I, God, will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. This is the God who, even in the midst of our profanation of profaning him, of not actually imaging what God wants, is still going to come, gather us up, and bring us into the new land. Then God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is who God is. Even as our hearts harden, even as we look to idols, even as we even profane his name in the midst of the people, he's still coming for us. He still desires us. He loves us. And we know, especially in Jesus Christ, that he's going to and has died, gone into the depths of Hades, of Sheol, wherever our chaos and darkness is, and has brought it up to pray for hearts of flesh. This means acknowledging our conscience, paying attention to when our conscience goes ping, an alarm goes off. This is the voice of God. Training our conscience requires, because it's not just, some of us can have overactive conscience or malformed conscience. This is via scripture and pastoral counsel. We have a challenge of black and white thinking. A better word is scrupulosity, where we are really kind of obsessed with ourselves and not really thinking about God that drives us to despair. God doesn't want your guilt or you feeling bad. He wants repentance. Your feeling bad is, where does God say, I want you to feel bad. Yes, weep, lament over your sins. But what's the next step? Repent, right? Because I'm going to forgive you. Take whatever head knowledge and what we know and actually move it to personal repentance. Time giving time to acknowledge and truly stand before God. God asks and expects of us fruit. So take stock. What fruit am I bearing? Again, I'm not talking about exotic things. I'm talking about domestic, tangible things. Choose one thing. Husbands, this week, do something without being asked. That you've been told probably a month before. Maybe six months before. Do something a little extravagant to show your love and care. Wives, respect your husbands. 
That's what scripture actually says. You go to Ephesians, it talks about love and sacrifice, and then wives, respect. Because respect for a husband goes infinite places. Give yourself something specific. Not just, I'm going to turn to God, but there's nothing before you. Choose something, particular virtue, an act. Reach out to someone that you haven't seen. But give yourself time before God in repentance. Examination of self in the evening at your prayers. And if you need help with your imagination thinking about this, I suggest to you the Psalter of St. Ephraim the Syrian, who will give you in great detail images and ways of thinking about things that will spur within you the desire for God, the desire for repentance. Restore piety. Don't decontextualize, make excuses, shift away, but turn instead to sacrifice of money, time, and service. Sing the hymns of the church at home. Give praise to him. Uplift, encourage, give thanks. These are the sacrifice. Give the sacrifice of praise. This is what frees you. This is what turns that stone into flesh. In short, we need to open ourselves to God. In our conscience, in our knowledge, and especially in what is familiar. See with new eyes. Stand in silence before your icons. Stand before God. Let him be who he is. As I said this last Thursday at the Men's Ignaxis, one of the seminary professors would say, go in the mirror in the morning and say, you are God. And then looking in the mirror, you are not God. Right? Just this basic memory. Reminding yourself of who he is, what you want and desire from him, and he will take us, sprinkle us, make us clean, And he will put his spirit and a new heart within us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.